This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. With pedals like the Snow Day Delay, the Pep Rally Fuzz, the Trash Panda, and my personal favorite, the Science Fair, which is two classic dirt pedals in one with a mid-boosted overdrive on one side, a black lab rat circuit on the other, and a blend knob to blend between them to find the perfect classic stacked dirt sound you're looking for, it's hard not to find something you'll love. Mark builds all of his pedals by hand in Syracuse, New York, where he also works as a full-time educator. In addition to the super fun graphics on their pedals, Mark also offers custom artwork. Want your dog's face on a pedal? He can do it. Want your face on a pedal? He can make that happen too. Go over to summerschoolelectronics.com and make sure to tell them that 40 Watt Podcast sent you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 40 Watt Podcast. I'm Philip, as usual. Here we are on episode 42, I think. I think I can count. Uh, Look, I'm a musician. I only count to four, and there's a four in there, so we're going to assume that's right. (coughs) So, quick housekeeping. I want to appreciate everybody, all the support. So far this year, we're getting on close to the end of season one. We're not quite there. Got a little ways to go. Um, uh, So, at the end of season one... Nothing magical happens. I just stop calling it season one, and the next episode is season two. (laughs) So I don't have anything planned like that, except that at the end of season one, I will be making my donation to St. Jude in the name of 40 Watt Podcast. Uh, So what that means is that all of the Patreon support that I've received over the course of this year, I'm going to total it, and I'm going to take 25% of that, and I'm going to donate that to St. Jude. Uh, at the end of this year, after the last episode of the season, uh, I'll post a picture on Instagram. Not because I need notif- uh, you know, not that I need recognition for doing it, but so that y'all know I did it. Because transparency and all of that, I don't want to be one of those people. Everybody comes back on years later, like, did you ever give that money to charity? Yes, I did, absolutely did, because that's what I want to do. Um, but having said that, if you want to support the podcast and in turn charities like St. Jude, you can do so by going over to patreon.com slash 40 watt podcast, where for as little as $3 a month, you can make this show happen. That'll get you a little bit of swag and some, uh, some, uh, pretty, pretty good warm and fuzzies about doing some really cool stuff, not just for me, but some kids who really need it at $5 a month. You get all of that plus some bonus content, and then it only goes up from there. You can get up to even as high as $50 a month where you'll get swag, you'll be able to help things happen, and we'll sit down every month and do lessons. Like, that's legit. Like, I've got a couple of people messaging me about it. Uh, I only have, I have limited slots for that, so if somebody people start taking me up on it, <laughs> I'm going to have to, like, close it because I can only do so many lessons um, with the full-time job plus the podcast. So, having said all that, go to the website, 40wattpodcast.com, Patreon, all the socials, like, subscribe, uh, follow, rate, review, hit the bell icon, leave a comment. Um, I think I got everything. Share with friends. That's your free way you can help. Share with your friends. All right. Awesome. I'm done with that. So today, Jeremy, thank you for coming on today. Hey, thanks, man. Hey, so y'all uh, are aware. I've already. Hopefully you're aware. If you're not, go back a few episodes. Jeremy, was, Jeremy the guitar hunter, was on the show uh, a little while back where we talked about his whole story, buying and selling tips and stuff like that. Well, I have been going through 
Uh, if anybody is friends with me on Facebook or follows me on Facebook, they know I'm going through a pretty significant gear purge. Um, I, I'm selling off a ton of stuff. And I actually had a friend of mine message me and say, hey, dude, are you okay? Are, are you okay? Is there, are things good? And I'm like, no, I'm good. I just I have TMS. I have way too much stuff. And so I've got to get rid of some of it. Uh, and so I, with all that um, and looking for guests to get on the podcast, I was like, this is the best time to get Jeremy back on here. Because you and I sort of, sort of explored this a little bit about how much you have that you keep and then how yeah. much you're just sort of passing on and moving through. And figuring out like what, okay, what metrics do I need to use to say, okay, this thing's going to stay with me for a long time because every one of us, man, like you get, eventually get like a shelf full of overdrives you're like, okay, well, I got too many of those. And like, you have to look around and figure, yeah, uh, I've committed that I don't want to have shelves. That's not true. I have a shelf over here. I I don't want to have like a full shelf of stuff that I just look at and don't ever use. And then it just happens. Like if you're in the guitar world long enough, just gear will find you. It's not hard. You know, I tell my friends that when I think we talked about it on the podcast last time, it was just that they're, they're like, how do you find these deals? How do you always find this? I was like, dude, if you're, if you're got your antenna up, the deal finds you. It happens. It, you're not. And, and the thing is you can't go out searching for the deal. You just got to be aware, be, be constantly like looking around. And that's why it's tricky. You don't really get to look for it. You don't get to be specific. Yeah. That's, I want a shoreline gold. 97 fuller to you know like you're like well that thing's probably not going to find you but if you just say like i like american made fenders i'm sure yep yeah and once you become known as the guy in your town that's it too um there's a there's a guy who i don't think is uh listens to the podcast but if he does he's he's a mississippi guy a lot of guys in the forums know him or on facebook groups i call them forums now like that's where we are um yeah uh jonathan uh he's got a pretty cool guitar collection. He loves matchless amps and Ooh. you know, he, he stops in shops wherever he is and they know him. He has, they have their, in his info. Yeah. If something he's looking for comes through, they call him like they let him know, Hey, we know you're really into these things. And that's the way it worked. I haven't quite developed those relationships since I moved, but my last shop, that's what would happen. They, they'd have something come through and they'd be like, I need to call Philip. <laughs> Philip's going to be yeah. interested in this. Because I think once you reach like black le- black belt level nerdiness on your thing, mm-hmm. you get to where like those shops defer to you. Like my local guy around here, any Martin pre-68, he calls me. He's like, hey, man, I know nothing. What is this? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that's a good place I, I have a few things like that. Uh, Gibsons typically end up being yeah. in my uh, – don't get too vintage because when you get too vintage like – I think we talked a little while back about uh, one of my Patreon supporters that was looking at a vintage Gibson, and I was like, I can't keep up with the year-to-year in the 60s, like the the shifts and changes. Oh, the wide oh, nut, man. the long nut, the shorter scale, the, you know, they did, oh, this weird thing in 65 and yeah. only in 65. I can't keep up with that. And that's why I'm like, I, I just don't have that personality, and that's why, like, I love John Schultz. He's a dear friend. He runs True Vintage Guitar yeah. And he loves wax, like, he loves, like, 30 stories on Instagram. Like, he did one today <laughs> about, like, here's how you tell a slab board versus a veneer board, and here's how it's concave and convex. And, well, I don't have any that are B nut width. I only have A nut width for pre-67. And I'm like, I I like the blue one. 
<laughs> and see, like the slab and veneer, I actually learned that one. I did learn that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's all about and and Pete, you can't you can't tell it from the top. You have to look at where it meets the neck at the end, and that's how you can tell the difference. And but it's like the, all those tiny little details. Like I watched um, uh, Keith uh, Five Watt yeah, World. One watt world yeah. Five Watt World. I watched his video on the 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 Gretsch fifty one twenty, and I was like. It changed so much every time. Yeah, how is it still the same thing? Yeah, how is it still the same model? It changed so much from year to year sometimes. And I, yeah, that's where I think it's interesting because it's more, we probably should lend or like borrow more from the car world where you're like, okay, so an M3, mm-hmm. like an M36, you're like, okay, that's generally the same, but it's a generation. And so there's all this nuance and change. And the same thing with like, Gretsch is generally, they're like, if they're the five, they're from the 50s. If they're six, if they're seven for the prefix. But even then, I, I got really into Gretsch's. I found this, I found a bunch of people. I found a guy who loved, are they Arkansas Gretsch's from the 70s? Oh, they're yeah. like the terrible ones. Yeah. But I liked them. And, uh, but I got really into them. And I was like, well, it's not a 6120 because like details are different. But yeah, I, I think we'd do much better to, to understand that guitars come in generations and like a 54 strat, a 55 strat, 56, like they're all preposterously different, yep. even though they look the same and they're the same color. Well, just look at the difference between a 59 Gibson and a 60 Gibson. Yeah. Oh, the, the changes in while I was at, um, summer Nam, and this is going to lead perfectly into the first thing i wanted to talk to you about while i was at summer Nam, i got the chance while we were at carter vintage i played a 1960 les paul burst and yeah. then i went over to gibson garage and hung out with mark agnesi and he put a 59 burst in my hand and to feel the difference in the two necks is absolutely insane man it that's crazy one year one year yeah and you and because there's so many like I love when you get into the details of that, especially once you've started trying to build something in life. Like even if you're ordering t-shirts for your podcast, right? you're like t-shirts are even said this, that they're the same, but they feel different. They look different. And so it's just all of those supply chain things. And like the plastics are different. The material in the bobbins is different. The copper wire that they got the enamel is different. And so it's, I mean, to ever make two of the same thing and say they are the same thing is really tricky. Uh, like it's only like it's only the same thing if you broaden out all those nerdy details. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported in part by String Joy Strings. I'm a snob. At least that's what people tell me. I'm never okay with good enough, and that's where String Joy Strings come in. They're better than good enough. They're the best. Stranger are making some of the finest strings available today right up the road from me in Nashville, Tennessee. They offer custom sets, balance tension, coded strings, the works. If you need it, they can probably make it happen. You should be using Stringjoy strings, and if you're going to order from them, you really could help this podcast out by clicking the affiliate link down in the description or show notes below. You get amazing strings, I get a little bit of that back to help the show keep going. It's a win-win situation. Get your Stringjoy strings today. Yeah, and yeah. and you've got to really be into something to catch the nuance too. It's it's sort yes. of like to the layman, to the non-guitar 
like even some guitar players, we won't even talk about them. We're going to talk about the specific gearheads, like the nerdy folks that care about this kind of stuff. We see differences that like regular guitar players and people who don't play guitar, they don't catch. It all looks the same. Every three tone burst looks the same to, to a person who doesn't play guitar. Three tone and two tone look the same to people that don't. Exactly. Care. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. So um, talking about that, though, uh, while I was at Summer Nam, I got to go to uh, uh, Gibson Garage. And I know not too long after that, you took a trip to Nashville. You went through. I wanted to get your impression. Yeah. Dude, it was, um, I think, so the, I made a video about it. I called it beautifully overwhelming. <laughs> like, it's it's like, I, so I came in, like, I'm not the biggest Gibson fan. Like, I, I love Les Paul Customs and 330s mm-hmm. for their electric guitars. Those are the ones that, like, will keep me up at night. And then behind that, I all the acoustics are just, I mean, that's that's probably more of where my heart lives. But when you come in, man, it's like, it's somehow perfectly Gibson and totally the right thing that they should have done this year. Oh, my focus went crazy. Yeah. yeah it's um, like, but we're uh, seeing the guitars in the background now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it's not focused on my face. There we go. Um, but yeah, so uh, sorry for you audio podcast listeners. It looked really <laughs> bad and you saw my strat behind me. But um, as I'm talking about Gibsons, but when you come into Gibson Garage, you come in and it's kind of a 180 degree spread, like this kind of radial thing in which there's little alcoves. All the way to the right is the custom room. That's where you most people have seen it, and it's it's this beautiful conveyor of all the tops. There's this kind of it. It feels like they definitely took cues from like high end like tailors that would have the big table in the middle of the room, and then all these drawers. So. They can show you neck profiles. They can show you different tops. There's a conveyor you can pick. And so theoretically, you could say, I want that top, you know, E71. I want that top. I want this neck profile. And then they have, a, you know, the plastics. You could easily, you know, they will take your 10 or 12 grand right <laughs> yep. there. And yep. then there's also a conveyor on the ceiling where there's all these guitars that are um, moving through the shop. And what what I was impressed by is just the grandiosity of all of it. Um, cause there's an alcove with Kramer, there's a big stage and you've, it's the same stage and couch that you've seen, you know, Gibson videos and Mark Agnesi. And, um, there's a Mesa alcove that I thought was really cool. That's one thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Oh yeah. Um, is there all the Mesa amps because Gibson owns Mesa, but most normal people anyway, t- I'll say it now. So the yeah. thing that threw me off was all these guitars that I love, I'm if I'm a Gibson player, I'm into a Fender amp, but they're not going to have Fender amps there. They're not going to um, have Fender amps, and so it's weird. Like I just don't know Mesa, and I think most people don't know Mesa well enough. And even then, Mesa clean channel, Mesa overdrive, is not Fender. It's like it's probably more similar to um, to Matchless. It's just more. It's Getting in a different it in that world. Vein. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's a di- it's just a different tonality. So what's weird to me is I played these guitars and it just felt like too many variables. I was like, I don't know if I like this guitar because that thing doesn't sound like what I'm used to. Which Mesa sound awesome, but they're super high gain for the most part. Um, that's that's a thing about Mesa, and and I am I'm having to do the same thing. This is going to be weird. Um, I it wasn't with you. I can't remember who I talked to on the podcast about it. But so I was playing this gig once, and I, I used to own. Uh, a, a Mesa Rectoverb combo. I am Ooh. not. I'm not into high gain. Never been. Never been my jam. Oh, yeah. Um. But it was this. It was a dual rectifier, two channel. 
Mm-hmm. It actually, I think, short of the Lone Star series, I think it's the best clean of any Mesa. Amp. Okay, yeah, yeah, because it's because that's very, what isn't, isn't that what Mick plays? He plays a Lone Star one hundred. Yeah, something. he played for a long time. Played a Lone Star one hundred, and that's I'm going to get back to that too. So, the with the Rectoverb, I had a guy walk up in the middle between sets at, at this gig at this you know country place in Clarksdale, Miss outside of Clarksdale, Mississippi. And he said, hey, I got this really cool guitar. You want to check it out? And he went and got it. Because uh, uh, if you're not familiar, I was playing a place called Hobson Plantation. Uh, get the idea of plantation out of your head. It used to be a plantation. That's Well, they call but go by Hobson Commissary now. It's essentially the commissary that was on the plantation that they kept as close to functional as possible. And they have bands play there. And what happened, it, this is such a cool story. They've got these shotgun shacks that they have gone and gotten and brought onto the property. Oh, cool. And, you know, modernized them, got running water, got air conditioning, um, but left them very homey. Yeah. We're going to say homey. Yeah. Um, and they call it the Shack Up Inn. So you can go there. You can rent a shack. Uh, tons of folks from Nashville come down and do, like, songwriter retreats there. And, like, they even renovated an old cotton gin uh, to be the Gin Inn. And so, like, they're a little more modern, but they're inside an old cotton gin. It's super cool. If you've never been to Shack Up Inn in Clarksdale, Mississippi, you need to go. So he was staying in one of those shacks. uh, And he went and got this guitar and brought it in. And in front of me was a 1951 Fender Nocaster. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, this is a reissue? He said, no. (laughs) And, this is uh, the guitar you bring with you when you go to Right. I was like, you just travel with this? And this Jeez. had to be this would be like oh nine, oh eight, oh nine, oh, somewhere in that cool. time. And so he was like, Ah, oh, you you can play it on the next set if you want to. I said, Yes, I want to. <laughs> so uh yep. I, so I played that whole rest of that show with a no caster into oh, a Mesa cool. Rectoverb. <laughs> wow. So did his uh did he have the original uh like the dark cap on the neck pickup? Or I'm trying to remember, because that would be yeah. So if, so if and I'm sure people know, but if you don't know, so what in fifty fifty one and even fifty two, mm-hmm. and when you buy a new reissue, they'll still have this like area era correct, but they'll have a tone cap in the middle position and another tone cap in the neck position, and it's super dark, super bassy. You know what I and back then. You know, I'd yeah. only been playing guitar for almost 10 years at that point, and I didn't know the differences. Yeah. I knew what a no-caster was, but yeah. I knew nothing about that switching system. So yeah. I put it on the brightest setting and just there left it there and used it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But. You struggled through. Uh, yeah, I, I struggled through. With the, with the, with <laughs> Dude, with that's the, awesome. With, un, until recently, the most expensive guitar I'd ever touched in my life. You know what yeah. I mean? But Dude, that's awesome. One so, of my biggest regrets okay. is that I sold, um, I, I, I worked in a vintage shop for eight years. And when I was like 18 or 19, um, my boss had the, he's like, he had this incredibly old. And what I found out later was that it was a 51 telly body oh, that had wow. a Mexican telly neck on it. <laughs> and, um, he was like, it's been refinished and sanded down. And it had, it was definitely too thin. Okay. Like it had probably lost a quarter of an inch or maybe even three eighths of an inch. And uh, I remember it being super light and it was ash and it was super old. You could tell that it was old, but um, we sold it with like a Mexican harness and pick guard and all hardware and all that sold it for 450 bucks. God. And, uh, and it was like three years later, I was like, Oh man, 
Oh, why didn't I buy that? Why didn't I know? <laughs> yeah, then you yeah. hunt. Then you have to hunt a neck. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 That's the cheapest part of that guitar would be buying the body. Yeah. Big time. And yeah. And then you know like, you pay you pay for the pickups what you would buy like a custom shop today. Yeah. Know. Well, the thing. Yeah. Anyway, there's a whole other rabbit trail about wiring harnesses. I would bet most of the 51, 52 harnesses that are in those guitars now are not original, and they came from Airline or Harmony because they would they'd have the same volume, tone, same caps. I cannot tell you how many of those I took apart and sold for 750 bucks. Wow. Uh, out of a $100 Harmony from the same period. Like that- Stratotones, they have a Tele harness, and uh, I didn't I'd know take that. those out and, yeah. That's wild. That's probably how I paid for a big chunk of college. <laughs> I, I was just flipping blues juniors and Mexican telecasters. So <laughs> Yeah. You gotta do a lot more of those. But uh so the but circling back to Mesa, so that rectiverb has a great clean. Has an good but here's the problem with those amps. Um and, and with Mesa, you gotta remember, literally Mesa was started by Mike. Is it Mike? I, I think I think it's Mike. Somebody please tell me if I'm wrong, but I'll look it up later. Um, the guy who founded Mesa, he was literally just modding Princeton's. That's that's how he started. Yeah, he was just modding Princeton's to be more. And okay. so once you get away from that sound that a lot of us that are around my and your age, because yeah. I know that for a long time I associated Mesa with the late 90s, early 2000s, the new metal, the thrash stuff, a lot of those guys that were playing heavy and super gainy. Yeah. But they did things like uh, the Electrodyne. I had one of those. It's an yeah. incredibly clean single-channel amp. Well, it's two-channel. I only used one channel. Uh, I yeah. always only use one channel, so that's why I don't buy two-channel okay. amps anymore. But yeah. the Rectoverb, incredible clean the Lone Star series, uh, Mick, I mean, Mick Taylor had a trouble at first, not anymore, going to two rock because he loved the clean of that. Uh, yeah. uh, Dude, those Lone those Star. Lone Stars, first of all, I mean, they're beautiful. Like they come in just yeah. amazing finishes and Tolex and all that. But those also, man, like you think a twin is loud? <laughs> like those things will like shake your teeth loose. Um, yeah. And it's like sparkly clean. Like it's not overdriving, but it's just too loud to be within 50 yards of. Yeah. And that's why, like, I've got the two rock uh, traditional clean. Um, yeah. And it's the same thing. Like it's got a master volume, but I can crank the preamp, crank yeah. it, and it's edge of breakup. The only way I get any real grind out of it, and it never gets really, it never really gets like Mesa dirty. Crank the preamp, and then you got to crank all of the tone controls to get all that extra gain out of the tone mm, circuit. Yeah, it's the only way you get it to break up. It's just clean. It's a super clean amp. Yeah, yeah. Which that's what I feel like. I mean, just earlier today, I realized that I'm, you know, I've been playing guitar for twenty years or something, and I'm just now like the older I get, the cleaner I want amps to yep. to be, and um. And I find that as I re-listen to my guitar heroes, they all have less gain than I ever thought they did. Like even the heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're we're way off from. But yeah. I, yeah. So as I'm going through Gibson Garage, I kept feeling like, okay, everything feels aspirational. Like they're definitely they want you to dream about a life in which Gibson guitars are in your life, and once you have that, you will feel accomplished and like you belong. 
I mean, that's the biggest thing is the amount of, and it was probably the same for you. It's kind of like Grun guitars. Carter, not as much, but Grun, you'll go and you'll see these guys lost in thought playing a guitar, and you can tell that they are not there. They're like dreaming of, you know, what, and for those guys, it's usually D18s, D28s um, at Grun, but when you get to Gibson Garage, it's the same kind of thing, and it's these guys all peppered around the place, and then you see wives that are bored to tears (laughs) that are just like, oh, Brian, please, we have been here for three hours. And, uh, you know, like they just want to go to like what daughters, donuts or Hattie B's hot chicken or like all the other cool stuff in Nashville. And, um, yeah. So then there's the acoustic room once you get past the Mesa stuff and the acoustic room is a great cacophony. That's exactly what I was talking about of, I mean, there's probably 10 people all playing, not listening to each other. And in that way it feels like a guitar shop. Um, but it also is like, it's the best and the coolest of their, of their acoustic guitars. And uh, I overall, I came in wanting to think it was dumb and noisy and obnoxious and it was obnoxious and loud, but it also, there's something like really dead on that. I think they, they nailed as far as if you're a guitar player, what you hope to be and you hope to belong to. I think they did a really good job. You know, it's, uh, I think that, uh, Emily and Andrew over at the get offset podcast talked about it this past week or the week before, and they were talking about Gibson. They were talking about the whole thing where you could basically buy stock in a certain Gibson guitar. We, I'm going to, I'm going to totally leave that alone. That's okay. Have you not seen that yet? No, I haven't. Okay. So I'll we'll, we'll talk about this for just a moment. They did this little thing, a little thing where they've got like these, either a prototype guitar or maybe the first run of like signature guitar it's like these handful they've only opened up one currently and i can't remember which one it is but um and essentially you can buy a share of the ownership of that guitar and they're they're partnering Mm -hmm. with i think a company called rally that's doing this kind of thing think of it as nfts is the best way to maybe think of it um, that's in my brain the way it's making sense or treating the guitar like a stock. Now, yeah, here's the deal. Uh, there were some articles that came out. Guitar.com did a thing on it. Some other people have said some things about it. I think this was entirely for Rally, not for Gibson. Okay. Rally had this idea. Gibson was like, sure, we can do that. No big deal. Well, I think it's that Gibson has been so behind on the techie side of things, mm-hmm. which they've tried. They've tried for so long. Yeah. Oh, I I meant to text you a picture. I took a picture the other day. I was in a thrift store, and I found a set of robot tuners for sale in a thrift store. <laughs> That's awesome. And they were asking $95. <laughs> you almost want to get them just for the, the, the silliness? I just want to put them on. I want to put them on, like, a Haas and Dalton. Or, oh, you don't? No. no. <laughs> I, I, what would be the most offensive use of those? But anyway. Uh, um, put, them, put them on a 59 Les Paul. <laughs> That's the yes. most offensive use. That's what you should do. <laughs> Check out this R9 with original. <laughs> um, man, so yeah, so what I what was so interesting is like Gibson Garage clearly um they are trying to give you an identity because the reality is the majority of their space is spent on like t-shirts and hats and retail stuff, like coffee cups and all that. And that's the thing is like you're gonna come there and you're gonna dream about owning a Gibson guitar. You're gonna hope that one day you're worthy, both financially and all that. Um, and, but in the meantime, you're going to spend, you know, 50 bucks on a t-shirt and 25 bucks on a coffee cup. Yeah. 
and uh, you, it's just coming out of vacation money. Um, I, I, don't, I don't buy brand coffee cups. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, I have a yeah. I have a I have a. I'm drink, I drank this morning out of my Gruen guitars. Oh yeah, and for for the, just the listeners, I I I've got a Novo coffee mug that I'm drinking out of now that I just got this week. So yeah, I'm we wearing a Hudson Dalton T-shirt. You're wearing a Novo shirt. Yeah. We're not shills. Not at all. I can totally be bought. There are sponsorship opportunities for this podcast if you're listening. Um, so <laughs> they're um, it, that's what you know. Emily and Andrew said it, and I I believe it. Yeah. It's the Gibson is people who get mad at Gibson over these kinds of things are thinking about Gibson the wrong way. They're thinking about Gibson guitars and getting mad at all the extra stuff. All the extra yeah. stuff is a lifestyle brand in the same yeah. way that people who have never been on a motorcycle own Harley Davidson t-shirts. Yes. You and know we I mean? should talk about that for a second. I think you and I talked about that just in like texting. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm going to butcher the details of this, but I saw there, is it not Veritasium, but it is one of those YouTube channels Maybe it was an economics podcast, but they followed a study of Harley Davidson and they alluded to Gibson guitars being the same. So what they found is uh, in the 1950s, the average age of a Harley Davidson older Harley Davidson owner was 19 years old. When they when they did the study 20 years later in the 70s, they found that they were 35 years old (laughs) when they when they did the study in the 1980s. And their their age groups and their owners keep getting older. And they keep having these revivals, and the revivals are almost always around, like, um, what was it, Easy Rider? Uh, what well, was Marlon Brando in the 50s and 60s? Right. And then it was, and then it was America, uh, Easy Rider. And then it was Terminator 2 yep. when he shows up on the big fat boy. And then they had another bump. And so it's basically like they're, they are a brand that is tied to pop culture, but they never created a replacement generation. And when they started Buell Motorcycles, that was their best chance. Was it Buell? Uh, I don't know if you know motorcycles. Yeah, no, I I had I had a Honda, and I know a little bit about Harleys, but that's about. I got never it. got into them. So they started this brand called Buell, which was supposed to directly compete with Ducati. So it was like okay. not like your grandpa's like low, slow, loud motorcycle. This was fast, nimble, quick, able to cut through the mountains and traffic and all this stuff. Anyway, so Harley-Davidson never created, I think as of the study went through like 2018, I believe, and the average age of an owner is now 68 years old oh for Harley-Davidson. So you're like, okay, so you're you're really important in this cultural moment, but you never, and, and Gibson is one of the biggest defenders, and Gibson owners yeah. are one of the biggest defenders of gatekeeping. Like they will pick on any kid that ever plays an Epiphone, <sighs> And any kid that ever, like, how could you play, you know, if they played the wrong kind of music on, you know, a Les Paul Jr.? Like, for me, it was, like, you know, uh, people picking on Green Day for playing juniors. And uh, and I remember getting picked on because my hero was Jade from AFI, and he played a studio. And oh, the studio yeah. wasn't good because it doesn't have a maple cap. And, you know. Yeah. Um, They're great guitars. Yeah. The studios sound great. I, I yeah, absolutely. Or you know, or or the the uh, Gibson owner. I I use this in the the uh, derogatory term. The Gibson owner that looks at a kid playing an Epiphone is like, well, when you get a real guitar, yeah. Or, or it is a real guitar. It has strings. It makes music. Stop. You know, just and so yeah, Gibson uh, Gibson owners more so than Gibson ever 
have yeah. have done a lot of negative things for I think so. the growth of the brand in younger generations. And I I think you're seeing them try to try to counter some of that. I got an email a few months back about they picked this whole like uh, I, I I'm going to use the wrong word, but it was like a council or a cohort of like young yeah. up and coming guitar players to be part of this big Gibson project that they're working on to, yeah. to empower young guitarists and young musicians. And it was really incredible. Yeah. And, and kids from all over the world, they didn't just, it wasn't just us or it wasn't just Nashville. It was, you know, all over the world, they're pulling these young, innovative guitar players. And I'm hoping yeah. that not only are they going to provide an opportunity to better, uh, all of these kids' music and musicianship and opportunity, Absolutely. but it's going to inform Gibson's decision making moving forward. Yeah. Now, do you follow uh, Finn McKenty or the Punk Rock NBA? Uh, no, but I feel like Dude, I should. I think you will love his channel. So, um, so Finn, we, we, he and I have texted back and forth over the years. I love his channel. So his whole thing is like, how did this genre get so big? What killed pop punk? What killed thrash metal so he's more on the heavy side um but he comes at it from a marketing and production standpoint Mm -hmm. uh and just kind of in the pop culture moment and uh he has such good wisdom about this i think once you discover this you'll it'll be a week of you just like (laughs) binge watching tearing through it but it's so good and he has really good perspective on um on some of those things and i've you know i've cramped his style a little bit with like some of the things that I've said more publicly about Gibson in particular, about their brand and their messaging. And that just comes from my background is in like, I was in sales for a long time and I'm, I owned a marketing agency before I was doing YouTube. And so for me, when I look through a brand, I'm like, Oh, I see what they're doing and I see why it breaks down or I see why it works so well. And, um, and they're just sometimes, so I think, um, Gibson is trying, they really are. And they're doing some things really well. I think, Few brands are doing it better than Fender right now. Yeah, Fender, especially with Fender Play kill- and all of their artist models, like the Tosh Sultana Strat, like genius. Yep. Like, of course, that guitar, like because it's getting young girls and women into playing guitar. It is showing off a modern guitar player. It's not. Here's a seven thousand dollar Peter Frampton Les Paul. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Or just one more slash signature. Uh, oh my gosh! What. A- a dead horse, Absolutely. not him personally. No, no, but like the, the idea whole, of like it, uh, the four million signature models for a guy who got famous playing a copy. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. That is my favorite. That is my favorite thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that they're like, you know, where it's like, oh, he didn't actually own what he didn't own a fifty nine or a sixty uh-uh. until millions of records sold exactly. later. Exactly. No, no, to get it, granted, the copy, I'm going to use the term, I'm going to use air quotes, um, the copy he was playing was yeah. like an, an elite built, master built to replica. look like a Gibson. Yeah, it was a replica. It, it's With it's, with PAFs and a, and a real harness. Right, exactly. It was, um, it was not, but, he didn't just pick up, you know, some Chipson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but apparently, so, because he wasn't that honest about it until about a year ago. Yeah. Um, and and so the story I read in, I think it was Guitar World, was um, he was afraid that if that came out that they would not give him an artist model early on. Oh. And so it was only kept to, like, the very inner circle actually knew. And, I mean, the same thing is true with, like, Springsteen, like Springsteen's 
Um, like he has a custom luthier building replicas that are, I think there's a blessing from Fender. Gotcha. So they say Fender, they look at like that. But I mean, Bruce Springsteen is like triangle frets and deep V necks and just stuff that Fender doesn't typically do. Yeah. Um, and then they're all Seymour Duncan pickups and all that stuff. But well, so and that's the weird, that's the thing about Gibson. So my experience at the the garage was very similar. It's very overwhelming. It's very much about the brand. It's very much about hats and t-shirts. And but I love that I love that shop where if you're dropping ten grand on a guitar, you probably want to go to Gibson. Try yeah. out all the neck models. You, they they had a drop down. I've got a picture. Maybe I'll finally post some of these on Instagram. Um, <clears throat> but they have a wall that drops down that you can pick your top. Yeah, it's like you can choose the wood, the figure. Not not like that one. That one. That one. And yeah, they let you put a neck in your hand. I thought that was really cool when I was there with Ryan Burke from Sixty Cycle Hum. The guy showing us around. Um, before Mark came yeah. in and fetched us, basically. Uh, <laughs> but he was showing us all the stuff they do. And even this guy who was a salesperson, he's a salesperson for Gibson, he admitted he was more of a Fender guitar player. He told Ooh. us that and, and was very in front of other Gibson employees. This wasn't like a hush-hush, oh, I really just play Fenders. No, he was very open. He said, I'm typically a Fender offset player. Um he was super familiar with Ryan's work with 60 cycle hum already. Um, yeah. but he also got really excited about these guitars. And so yeah. he's either, or maybe both either, or a great salesperson who can fake it or something they're doing is actually getting people excited about guitars. Even people who are admitted fender people, you yeah. know what I mean? And I really appreciated yeah. that. I like the fact that they make an effort to have one of every model available for sale in that store at all times. Yeah. That's kind of Which cool. is impossibly difficult to do. Yeah. And that know. I think that I think that extends to the smaller brands, like I say smaller, the the other brands like Epiphone. But like Epiphone, Kramer. they had Kramer. I forgot that they own Kramer. <laughs> yeah. Which that's interesting because Kramer is pulls way more it feels more like Charvel. Charvel's yep. a Fender brand. So that's an interesting... I wish I would have spent more time back there, but I only had... Because I, I was like crunched for time. It was a Friday afternoon by Because I was in Nashville for a full week. We have family there. But by the time I got everything done, it was like I could get there Friday at 11 a.m. And yeah. then I had to leave at 1.30 to run back. No, it was... Yeah, I had to run back for a live show. My live show was late that day. Um so yeah, I, I definitely I'll be there in a couple weeks, and so the plan is to spend more time there. But I mean, overall, it's it's like yes, it's branding and marketing and all this stuff, but it also is a really cool place. And I think that's the thing is, especially coming out of COVID, like um, we're realizing that like place matters mm -hmm. and people matter and experiences matter. Like because there's one thing to watch a bunch of YouTube videos, and there's another thing to go there and actually play. And that's what. I think it's so cool um, because the worst thing a guitar shop can do is say like, please ask before we'll let you play oh, this I guitar. It. Um, and then when you do get to play it, we're going to stand there and make sure you don't scratch it or ding it or mess it up. And so it's not, the experience doesn't happen. And yeah. so what's cool there is you got to play. Like I saw a kid get to play a $10,000, uh, you know, J 200, I think an SJ 200. And it's just like 14 year old kid. And you just saw the thing that needs to happen for people with playing guitar, you saw the fire. Like this was just a dump of gasoline on this little bed of coals that he's just discovered. 
and uh, it was so cool. It's yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great move for Gibson. I think <clears throat> overall they're making good moves. Overall, there there's some yeah. missteps here and there. Obviously, yeah. Um, I think some of the missteps aren't actually Gibson. I think they're actually Gibson owners. Uh, not not the owner of Gibson. That's the company. that's Gibson a really good point, and we really need to clarify that. Like the gatekeeping culture comes way more from the people who have you know owners exactly not gibson themselves yeah even though they did create the phrase only a gibson is good enough <laughs> Which and is, play yeah open. yeah but you that's know? i mean that's an old phrase oh yeah and i think i think that's we'll, 40s i would hope we'll see a little bit of that phrase like um shifted out of their marketing like a little less you don't of that. see you don't see them saying play authentic anymore. yeah no, that one died that was dead on arrival <laughs> that one Dude, just that one so I'm I'm interested to see ten years from now the case study that is yeah I I'm hoping we'll get to see even more of them uh, like we didn't even mention the fact that Lizzie Hale's now a brand ambassador which is their fancy word for endorsed artist um, yeah they they've also came out with the um oh the new acoustic guitars the signatures the uh, well so Daniel they've Ratliff the, yes Nathaniel that Ratliff one. not Daniel. Nathaniel. Uh, yeah, yeah, Nathaniel. Um, I talked about that on my live show a couple weeks yep. ago. Like, that's one of my favorite. Now, it, it makes me sad as a Waterloo owner and as, yeah. Yeah, I get um, uh, But yeah, I mean, I, but also when you look like his Tiny Desk concert, he played like a B25-12. Mm-hmm. Or no, whatever the Dreadnoughts. No, it's a B25-12. And then he's played an LG2 a bunch. But anyway, so this new artist, LG2, is very cool. Um, it's just unfortunate so. that like, it's the rare occasion in which Gibson gets a cool guitar from a modern artist at a somewhat not insane price. Right. It's not $8,000. Yeah. I mean, it's 3,500, it's but I'm at a point now where like we have to sort of, uh, especially some of us that have been in the game for a little while, like yeah. we remember, you know, like my impression of a Mexican fender is that it's $300. You know what I yeah. mean? Used, used price, three hundred dollars, brand new. Not We're anymore. talking five, six hundred. No, not at They're all. Like five, six now. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, I'm at a point now where like that nineteen ninety nine to about twenty four ninety nine range is sort yeah. of what I expect to pay for a yeah. pro premium assembly line yeah, yeah, yeah. instrument. You know? Yeah, which is what makes um, which is what makes like the new American Pro two. Like that's just so much guitar for the money. It's it just, is. what fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. Um. I still, you know, but Gibson and Gibson and Fender have always been very different on new price. Um. Yeah. I don't One know the video I idea that, that all I, that different anymore though. If you don't equate, yeah. if instead of equating the American Pro to a Les Paul standard, yes, they're not equate the, same. the Ultra to a Les Paul standard, which I think is getting closer. closer yeah um but they're also they're just entirely different guitars to build oh yeah and so it like if fender did set necks they would be 500 dollars more and like, they used to do a few and notice they don't do them anymore because they're, yeah because they're re- so that's the thing is like the level of craftsmanship required to make a les paul is very very different and i love strats like i'm a strat and telly guy yeah but like i mean uh what's his name Brad Paisley, like his thing yeah. is like a Telecaster is basically a cutting board. <laughs> it is. 
It absolutely. It's is. just a, a hunk of wood, and it's, you round the edges off, and then you have a routing template. Like most people could make a Telecaster, you know, that are fairly handy with like a bandsaw and a router. Like yeah. you could make a Telebody. It wouldn't be great, but it would be close. Like no one could make a Les Paul style guitar on their own with a router. Like the carved top, the the neck joint, all that stuff. You could. It so just take just, you. They're forever very different guitars. And take you forever. Yeah. Um, so just to transition a little bit, otherwise we will make this whole podcast all about uh, Gibson V Fender, which I don't want it to be. I don't. I think that's a bad argument, and that's a, for another time. It's not Gibson V Fender. You don't pick or choose. This isn't, yeah. you know, Elvis oh, or the they, Beatles. Yeah, they're very different. Or Billy Joel or Elton John. You don't have to choose one. Those those you do, and I will judge you based on your choice. But um, uh, so Billy Joel, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. No, anyway. So <laughs> I have both of their records. So um, uh, moving just a little different, though. I what I talked about at the top. I've been going through this like gear expunge like it's and mm-hmm. i've been i've some been sort of on this verge for a couple of months now because over the last three years and especially during uh covet and the lockdown and i just started basically dealing with my own existential depression yeah. by buying gear like a lot of people did um yeah. now that i can look back on it and see that that's what ha- was happening i didn't get to interact with people so i interacted with you know a, a credit card yeah, and card. and you also had money coming in that you yeah. didn't see coming in. Like suddenly, Uncle I didn't Joe have to drive anywhere, so I was spending no money on gas. So all that yeah. money was spare. Um, Not going to restaurants. Yeah. yeah. So I have been wrestling with this for a a couple of months, and then over the weekend, uh, I actually text you over the weekend when I picked it up. So I I, I had a situation come up. I'm not going to get way into details on the podcast, but I ended up. Through a series of odd and strange events, I've come into ownership of a like dream guitar for me, uh, a bourgeois orchestra model V. I have wanted a bourgeois guitar ever since I saw Sean Wa- Sean Watkins with Nickel Creek playing one. Yes, I have been completely obsessed with Dana bourgeois guitars, but they have been prohibitively expensive. Oh and, yeah, and unfortunately, as I got older and got into you know adult money, they became mm-hmm. more expensive at yes. the same rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turns out there was a whole generation of people that are like, that's the first thing I'm spending when I have right. dumb money around. And so now they have gotten, they are prohibitively expensive. Yeah. Um, but I, I got a great deal on one. Um, I actually have it here. I'm going to pick it up. But uh, I'm, you know, it's a, it's a bourgeois uh, orchestra model V. It is a serial number nine thirty seven. I have confirmed with uh, Bourgeois that that means it was made in nineteen ninety seven. So it is pre uh, a Dana Bourgeois founding Pantheon, which is the company that is the, the that owns Bourgeois guitars. Uh, so it's one of those first thousand he made by himself. You know mm-hmm. when he was just building guitars. And uh, in Maine, which they still do, it's still a small team. It's not like I'm, they're not a huge manufacturing facility. Yeah, but well, because a chunk of them spun off uh, from. Well, was it Dana Bourgeois or was it Froggy Bottom? There's this whole contingent of builders, kind of in that part of the world in in New England. But yeah, I don't. There's a chunk I, I of them that spun off to make Irish guitars and circle strings. That's right. In That's Burlington, right. Vermont. I remember hearing about that, and Burlington's a cool town. I did not know they were there while I was in Burlington, and next time I get to Burlington, oh, if ever, i got to stop by. But 
So yeah. I, I picked this up and it spurred an entire conversation. Like it took all that thinking in me and was like, yeah. yes, you do not need this much junk in your life. Hmm. Sell what is absolutely superfluous. And instead yeah. of having 10, 15, 20 good or great guitars in your life, yeah. get it down to four or five amazing guitars. Yep. And, I'm with you. And so that's what I'm doing. Like I got, this is an amazing guitar. This is it really is. Um, this and my Larry do five are all the acoustic guitar I need in my life. And yeah. So, uh, and then I had the same conversation with electrics where like, uh, those that are watching the video can see I have two ES models behind me. Um, I'm forbidden from selling these by my wife. These are mm-hmm. these are the guitars she identifies me with because for a long time these were the only two guitars I owned. These and my yeah. Larravee. I had three guitars. That's that's all I owned to, to my entire name. And but, you got the Larravee as part of a record. That's the one that you got. Yeah, we were we were in nostalgic. talks with with some record labels, and we had some financial backing, and they basically yeah. said, "Here's some money, go get an instrument." And awesome. So, uh, and so that one's staying with me forever. Um, but I went, I started going through, and I, I uh, for those of you that have watched my videos before, you can see behind me. There's not two giant racks of guitars anymore, two ten space racks. Yeah. That's because all of that stuff has been. Photos taken, listed online for sale. Not on Reverb yet. Some of it's on Reverb, but I'm I'm trying to avoid listing the big stuff on Reverb. Uh, we've had that discussion. Um, and wait, what? I, I don't think I've talked about Reverb before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad. That was that was private conversation. No, I'm kidding. Um, and it's it's all in cases and put away and ready for someone yeah. to say, "Hey, I'm interested in that," and we'll we'll pull it out and sell it. But this is yeah, this is the stuff that's staying. Because I think I think it's really. I mean, I would say your experience is pretty normal. Like you like guitars and you find deals on guitars and you just kind of get them and, you know, they're a little bit here, a little bit there. And you're like, well, they're all good. And then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, I have 18 guitars. Yeah. Like I'm a maniac. I don't have 18 of anything else. (laughs) Like, yeah, exactly. And it's, I don't. And now one of the one of my things that I I will completely admit to I'm still an amp junkie I still have yeah. another I have my divided by thirteen I have my two rock I still have my vintage super reverb they're not going anywhere um, I still have one more amp that's probably I did sell my AC thirty it, it okay. was, it's a Chinese import AC thirty it wasn't you know wasn't fantastic okay, got it. Um, it's a good amp it's a it's a good yeah. amp but uh, I have one more amp incoming just because I am an amp junkie but that's yeah. I so I, I feel the same way. So I've been consolidating as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and even today, I posted a thing on Instagram of like, "Hey, like I've got a bunch of stuff. Buy it so that you can fund more guitar hunting videos." And so basically, what I'm finding now is uh, I, I'm pretty well. I've got so for me, I have my Hassan Dalton TDM. I have, and that's that's the one right here. Uh, this is just my favorite guitar that I own. Oh um, yeah. And I'm super proud of this one because it's made 30 miles from my hometown. It's made by dear friends. Yeah. And uh, and I got this one for way cheap. No <laughs> one has gotten one as cheap as I got mine. Um, I think that's also because of my video on it. There's, an, But, yeah, I got this one for $2,000. And, like, you don't find them under three. 
But after that, I have my Waterloo WLS. I have uh, my pink Paisley. You can kind of see it back here. Mm -hmm. I have a pink Paisley Telly. Um, I have a Pono Octave Mandolin that I really don't want to part with. Um, and uh, what else? I have my Paget Model 1. Uh, so for me, I'm getting to where like I, I'm, I'm at a place where I'm like, I have the guitars I think I want to grow old with. Like yep. I want to like have 30, 40 years from now. And um, But yeah, I mean, I, I think your experience is pretty normal. And I think it's only when you start saying like, okay, what things really need to stay and what's just noise? Yep. And um, yeah, because there, I'm. I guarantee you have guitars that are other people's lifer guitars. Yeah, and oh, uh, and they're gonna get serious joy when they, you know, and they need to be played. I've got some. I've got some great guitars that I'm selling that that just they. I'm not yeah. selling them because they're bad guitars. Just because I found things I connected with more. Um, yeah. The one and only thing I know that I need, uh, and I, I I do say the word need because I I do play. That's the other side is. I'm I pref, I I identify as a player. I play yeah. guitar, gigs, recordings, whatever, um, uh, show choirs, whatever you need me for. Hey. Um, I identify as a player, not a collector. And yeah. so it got to a point where I was starting to feel like a collector, and I don't yeah. like that feeling. I, I don't like yeah. that feeling at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that's what. Um, I'm with you. I I do not feel the bug of being a guitar collector. Um. And I've I've resisted that when people say like you have a big collection I'm like I don't I don't know why it just feels it feels weird to it me feels dirty yeah I feel yeah. gross but um so I so one of the things I'm working on recently is I've been working and writing on a guitar course mm -hmm. I'm still not totally sure what it's going to be called it's something about I mean the main chunks of it are going to be how to buy the right guitars how to sell the wrong guitars and how to build a meaningful guitar collection. Oh, so wow. that's that's what I what I've been writing through and working on, and there's a lot of nuance to that. Like, um, and you know, we you and I have talked about pawn shops. Like, you can find great deals, but they're a they're a business built on sorrow. <laughs> like, no <laughs> like one casinos. selling to a pawn shop is like life is great. I'm just gonna sell it to them. Yeah, everyone's like, you know, child support and just sadness. So anyway, so I, I avoid. I, I've been trying to figure out how to articulate those thoughts, but. Um, yeah, I think it's, you, you're not gonna, you're not gonna end your life. Okay. Here's what I've found. The people that I see and admire that have an amazing legacy in which they have a family that loves them and they know their family really well. They have a business that was really successful. They have a meaningful guitar collection. They still get to play music in their life. Like that, those few people that I've met in my life, the one thing I'm finding is, they did not do that by accident. Like, yes, they figured out when they were our age. Oh, wow. There's a lot of noise that's going to threaten this story. And, uh, yeah, that's a great so, way to put it. it. It's a great. And I like the use of the term meaningful guitar collection. That, that doesn't feel as dirty as just saying guitar collection. Like, yeah, which yeah. is, which is what is sitting out in my hall right now. <laughs> Cause yeah, that's where to me, like when, cause guitars double in space. Yep. And so, like, for every guitar you have, there's an equal-sized volume thing that you have to store in your house. Yep. And so, yeah, that that's the biggest limitation for me on guitar collection is, okay, well, seven guitar cases is a lot of volume. It is a lot of volume. That's one of the other reasons why I know this is blasphemous. I'm a big believer in the gig bag, and there are yeah. some great gig bags out there now. There are some absolutely yeah. incredible ones. 
I think I'm I think I'm ready to get rid of a couple. Like I love the look of old Fender like Telly and like Fender logoed white pipe cases. Yeah, are just cool. I mean, tweed cases are cool, but I'm with you. Like I think I'm because when you look at like what does a guitar case do? Like it gives you protection. Like yep. that's the fir- the biggest thing that you have. And then behind that, there's some storage. And uh, but other than that, they're heavy. They you can't put multiple in there. They you know when you bring them with you, you have to like a gig bag gives you storage. And if you can just up the protection, like that's the it. convenience is so high on a gig bag. If you can up the protection, like some of the new mono cases. Um, that's what I've got a gig bag for. I bought a, a Sheeran by Loudon mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago and the gig bag is made by mono and it's, it's the best gig bag I've ever seen. It's I, structural and strong, but it's like, yeah, I've got a gig bag for my Novo and the mono gig bag for that. And I'm just, really? I can't see, that's what they come with stock is a mono gig bag. You can pay more and get the upgraded super fancy. When I say super fancy, it's one of the prettiest cases I've ever seen that wow. you can get with Novo. It's a $300 upcharge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, I can I can see why some people would do it because Novo does make some guitars that are some of the most gorgeous upscale things I've ever seen, especially some of those signature, those signature yeah. ones they're doing now. Those actually... <laughs> Those don't even come with the normal hard shell case. Those come with a very specially made for that guitar hard shell case. Is that like a Carlton or one of those? Uh, I don't know who makes them, but like they're embroidered on the inside and the lid. And it's just, it's, it's fancy. It is way more fancy than anything I need. The gig bag for that is fantastic. I don't. I haven't yet gotten to where I trust the the ES stuff in a, even I a know. mono gig bag yet. I, I don't do it. Yeah. Um, oh boy. Oh, gotta charge the battery pack. That's okay. Um, but we'll just keep talking. It's fine. We're we're nearing the end of the regular episodes, so <laughs> that's fine. Um, but I was saying the one thing I do feel like I need is I still need a Strat something in my life, like Strat pickup configuration. And so Absolutely. I'm actually on the hunt um, as I'm selling things. The one one thing I'm going to buy is a um, a I'm going to try to find a Novo Saris S, which was their mm. Strat pickup, Strat trim model. Yeah, but they, isn't that the one that Zach Broyles loves? Yes, he just he got one of the last ones <laughs> they took orders for. They don't take orders for them anymore. Yeah. So what exists is what exists. So I can't order one, so I've got to find one. Um, I'm, I'm on the hunt. I'm in a couple of Facebook groups of Novo owners. And so I'm, I've Mm. like put out the feelers that, you know, I'm looking for one. Um, but that's, you know, that's about it. Uh, technically they have another, actually, I think I can talk about it because they've, they've put out a few things on social media. They're in development for a base and, uh, I am selling my 97, uh, American deluxe jazz bass that, that I have that's John Sir era, the whole nine yards, the pickups, the whatever. A yeah. lot of people really like them. I'm going to sell it and I'm going to, when, whenever it is they launch those, I'm, I think I'm going to end up buying a Novo bass and then I'm done. Like guitars, I don't, I don't need another guitar. I've got everything yeah. covered that I like with a handful of amazing guitars and that that's about it for me. After that, yeah. I, I I need some other obsession. I don't know microphones or something. Uh, get into nerdy stuff. Yeah, get into something super nerdy because 
I think it's a good, I think it's a good point to be at, and it's taken me a little while to get there. Um, and I've I've done the ebb and flow with collections, just like everybody else, where you buy a bunch, you sell a bunch, you buy a bunch. But I've never quite gotten to this mindset of I don't have to have the newest thing that just came out that I'm so excited that everybody's so excited about. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't need to have all of the classics that everyone calls a must own. Um, I don't need to, uh, and this is this is one thing I do so little studio work session work i want to do more Um, i'm working on figuring out how to get myself out there and doing that more uh one is just simply recording more and putting it out in the universe and people hearing my recorded guitar playing and that's something i've got to get better at um but not thinking that i actually need one of every type of guitar to get tones for studio work even if i were full-time working let's say that was my full-time job i'm playing guitar 10 hours a day for recordings yeah, you can do it with two or three guitars. You don't yeah. need every. You don't have to have everything. Yeah, I, I think uh, my strategy for that over the last ten years, and I feel like I haven't talked about this much, but my strategy when I'm looking at, all right, I want, like, I pick the two extremes of what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in acoustic guitars, for a long time, I want woofy, warm, uh, jangly J45 tone. So I had a 61 J50 and that thing does everything I want to do and it gets super jangly. And then on the other side, I want loud, present, clear, boomy. So I had a a newer Martin D35. And so with that one, that one is like the total other end. And what I found is in recording situations, especially you can, you can play a D35 the way it sounds bright, present, jangly um, and boomy. Or you could have the other side of that super warm finger styley uh, Gibson tone. And what I found is you can f- you can get those two to where you can play them, like move your hand more over the sound hole, move your hand back. You can I can make a J forty five almost sound like a D eighteen, and then I can make a D forty five or a D thirty five sound very folky and finger styley. Yeah. And then I think the same thing is true between a humbucker guitar. And like a Telecaster. Um, and, and everybody's seen that video from Joe Bonamas. I think it's with Guitarist where he shows like how to get every tone out of a Les Paul. Right. And it's like, I mean, most of us have four knobs on a Les Paul and they're all at 10. <laughs> and you're like, and I switch between the two uh, or between, you know, the three, use your pickup selector. Uh, and calling back to earlier, like Gretsch guitars. I think that's where like, I think a Gretsch, fixes a lot of the problems that a less Paul, like you can get way more tones. Out yeah, you of it. Can. But yeah, I think, I think having, I mean, it's, we're, our culture is in this moment of minimalism. I'm very thankful. My wife has been a minimalist since I met her. She's been on this mission to have less stuff, but more meaningful relationships with that stuff. Yes. And, um, I've, you know, I would like to say that I've been cool with like, let's chop down everything I have and like strip down. But, um, it's there hard is to get there. always, it's just always better. Like it's really hard to get over that hump, but less gear, but better gear mm-hmm. is awesome. I, that's, and that's exactly where I am. And some people would still probably look at me and like, uh, end of story. I'm going to end up with, uh, five, maybe six electric guitars grand total, but I'm primarily an electric guitarist. Just a very act and a helix. <laughs> 
I've done the Helix thing. I think it's a great tool. It is not. Oh for yeah, me. Helixes are cool. Um, but yeah. I'm gonna, I'm going to end up with um four guitar amps. Uh, and then that's a lot. That is a lot. The reason for this is the one where I do feel like I need certain sounds. Like I have I have something Marshally. I have yeah. something hot rotted Fender E. Yep. And I'm getting something AC 30 ish. I, I got yeah. rid of the, I want something in a head and cabinet. And that's why I didn't keep the, the AC 30 I had. I want something in yep. head and cabinet. I've got a line on a, a bad cat, black cat 30 R. Ooh, that, cool. So I'm real excited about it. Um, the other one, the other one that's super cool in that space is the Morgan. Is it the A, what do they call theirs? AC 20 or the AC 40? AC 20. Yeah. The, the problem that, is, they are non-existent used right now. Yeah. Non- yeah, they yeah, yeah. do not well, exist. Well, it's because like every worship, every like large worship team, like that's probably the amp there. Well, they know, also, um, the, um, when boutique amp distribution burned a few months ago, you remember that about six, seven months yeah. ago, that's yeah. where Morgan was built. So they couldn't get any new Morgans out. And so yeah. the entire used market got dried up. Um, mm. Yeah. So all those people that would have bought a new one weren't able to. Yeah. Bought a bunch of used ones. Now there's a flood of new ones on the market that it. I've been watching for a little while trying to find that. Yeah. But I found this bad cat. I really like it. I just got to find a way to get it. I don't want to ship it. Uh, it's in North Carolina, and so yeah, yeah. So it may end up being a road trip, but. So, but I I want those three flavors. I want the Fender, the Marshall, the AC30. I think that I think that's true. So if you yeah, if you compare it to electric guitars, you'd say like generally speaking, there are humbucker guitars and single coil guitars. There's right. Gibson and Fender. Again, we're we're drawing that dichotomy. But I think if you look at the etymology or the the history of these guitars, I think in acoustic guitars there's Martin and Fender, yep. or sorry, Martin and Gibson. Gibson. And then you look at like Stella is kind of the third way in acoustic guitars. If you look at amps, and that's what I think is so helpful. Like look back 30, 40, 50 years and then kind of look at the general. So you have like, yeah, I think English and British is a little too simplistic. Yeah, it is. But I think you're right. I think there's like a Marshall-y tone, a Fender-y tone, and then there's like this AC thing yep. that's, yeah. It's its own thing. I think that's wise. But even then, I could easily... Not easily. I won't say I could really, you know, have a tough conversation with myself and say, yeah, but how many times have you ever listened to a recording? And like the first thing you thought is, man, I really love the sound of that, that Telecaster into such and such. And it turned out to be something different than what you thought. Like what was the big one recently? Everybody's been talking about it. It's not new knowledge, but everybody's been talking about the fact that uh, Gilmore uh, the big wish you were here solo or is it the com- yeah. comfortably numb solo? It's one of those was not a strat. It's a P90 less Paul, but everybody for umpteen what? years has thought it was a strat that is, I had missed that. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, no, it's a P90 less Paul. It's a 56. Well, that's what, um, was it like Rocky Mount? No, uh, all those Joe Walsh things. Yeah. Like a couple years ago, it came out like that's all a Princeton. Yep. Like, and it's so a Stratton it's like, to a Princeton. You can you can make all the arguments for owning a different flavor of everything, but then there's a huge argument for knowing the tool you're using and yeah. getting what you need out of it. I yeah, and I think it's um I think there's a lot psychologically going on there. I think there's a sense of identity that comes from guitar because sure. humans are meant to create and there's something about being insecure about your creation like means you're insecure about your humanity. So that's a large 
yeah, that's whole a- other topic. But I think there's also it spins out into well, if I get the same gear as them, we're both people, so I must, you know, if I get a tube screamer and a strat, and you know, I must be like Stevie Ray, and then you take the human equation out of it, like. Yep. It's really hard. It's a lot of touch, and it comes from a lot of learning how to play. And yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's yeah. Well, I mentioned four amps. I will say just off the, the last one is the Super Reverb. That is a till there you I, go. That's a till I die amp. That's not because yeah. I need to cover that tone. I can get close with the. It's not the same, but I can get close with the two rock. It's yeah. a that amp's been with me for so long. It's been through me. It's like there was there were years years where yeah. I had these two guitars. And I had a super that super reverb, and that was that was it. That's what I had. That was my entire oh, rig. Oh man, supers are amazing if you have space to keep them and not ever have to move them. <laughs> yeah, I move it every week for a rehearsal because right now that's the one I'm taking <gasps> to rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm playing. I had a guy. There's a guy I used oh. to know. He had a super. No, he had a basement. Also big and, and um, no and a lot. Yeah, I mean four ten. Yeah, his was tweed. But he uh he like permanently attached it to a uh, to a dolly, and he like went through with it's so obnoxious. It was a metal dolly, and he went through and like put dynamat on every piece that jangled and rattled, <laughs> and just left the, it ratcheted all of it. <laughs> and it's like just because he's like well, I, I don't want to move. I was like, why don't you put it on casters? He's like, it sounds bad with casters. Like it sounds better with a a dolly strapped to it. I, I, I've done that where I, I bought, you know, went to Harbor Freight, bought a cheap yeah. piano dolly yeah. and, and a ratchet strap. And then when I get it to the car, I take it off the cart and put it in the car and yeah. the, it doesn't take up that much room. You don't have to permanently attach it, <laughs> but there yeah. is for moving it around. It definitely made it easier because I was not drilling and putting casters on my, my no, super no, reverb. No, no, no. It just wasn't happening, but I also couldn't get around to picking it up and carrying it. Yeah. You know, you know, two blocks down. Cause I can't park near the bar yeah. <laughs> and getting it in the club. Yeah. And I do think, I do think that one of our, one of the best, uh, one of the best things that I've, sorry, I just realized that my name is Jeremy, the guitar hunter, <laughs> <laughs> this whole Hutter, this whole Huter. time. Um, but, but I think one of the best gifts that guitar culture has received is Josh Scott. And his ability to lovingly, gently tell us that we're all full of it, and most of the <laughs> yes. things we've been learned, they've been told don't matter. And like, don't. I love his thing of like, what chips are in it doesn't matter. Like a reissue, you know, a, a reissue will sound the same. Uh, and that's that's one thing that also that um, Zach from Mythos says a lot that I love is his perspective that um, I'm going to go pick this like, up. Hold my shelf. I'm still listening. I'll do it. But yeah, so like if a tube screamer, like somebody that's making a tube screamer, if the engineers know that it's not as good, they're not good engineers. And like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm muddling that point. But his point is just that like they don't, engineers don't make bad things. Right. And so if they're trying to imitate this thing as accurately as they can, they can do that without using the same parts and the same chips. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I got up. Now everybody knows I've been doing this podcast in gym shorts, but that's okay. <laughs> At least you have pants on. I do have pants on, or wouldn't I got? I have up. not confirmed that I have pants on. <laughs> <laughs> so I um when I had Zach from uh oh he does have pants on. Look at I that. Do have pants on. 
Um, <laughs> when I had Zach for, on the podcast from Mythos Pedals, he and I talked mm-hmm. about this pedal. I bought it live while we recorded oh, the yeah. podcast. I've heard everybody talk about this. This is the, I, I don't think mine autofocuses. So this is the Behringer the Vintage Delay. VD, well, Behringer prices have gone up. They are now $25 <laughs> brand new, not 19 It's because anymore. they sold 200,000 of them. Right. But I mean, that's like a 37% increase in price. If you think about it, they went up $6. <laughs> that's a that's 30, a that's, a, that's ridiculous. Yeah. This pedal sounds awesome. There is, a, yeah, a friend of mine has one. I if you want a vintage delay, if you yeah. want that sound, and let's say you're a guy who just needs or a gal who needs just a slapback delay every so often, or you just want something subtly going on in the background, don't spend a hundred and fifty two hundred dollars on a DM two. Don't don't do it. Yeah. Buy buy a twenty five dollar VD four hundred. I got a Mythos Oracle that is. Oh, yeah. I want I, I do want one of those, but I also don't need one of those, so it hasn't been bought yet. So <laughs> Okay. Yeah, Zach. Um Zach was gonna give me one and I felt bad. I had a hundred bucks in my pocket. So I got mine for a hundred bucks. That's but it has awesome. a like it's a blem. Oh, also, sure. he uh he sent me a I'm I'm getting a Mjolnir. I am um, I'm on the list for one of the Wildwood Mjolnirs. Okay, I don't but, know which one. He said he had one that has a crunchy switch. Oh he's like it's pretty He's like, it's pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> like, like your brain will tell you it's broken. But he's like, it's fine. We just didn't switch out. <laughs> yeah. I think it'll probably be here today or tomorrow. Oh, nice. Uh, you'll have to send yeah. me when you get that. Let me know. Yeah. Well, I think we are wrapping it up on the regular episode. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more. We might get a little uh, little grittier on the... Uh, as gritty as we get. Uh, we're not that edgy, I promise. Uh, we'll get a little grittier on the uh, Patreon episode. Remember, you can go over to patreon.com slash 40 watt podcast. And at $5 a month or higher, you do get all of the extra content that we put out on Patreon. Um, hopefully in season two, we'll start to roll in some perks into um, that. And uh, I am about to launch... And, and I'm putting this at the end of the podcast. And next week, maybe it'll be at the front end of the podcast because I'll be more ready to talk about it by then. But I'm about to do my very first giveaway over on Instagram. Awesome. So we're going to be giving away a few things. I've got a couple of brands who have... Uh, I've got, I got four brands who have jumped in and been willing to be a part of it. So I, I will tell you that at least one of the things being given away is a guitar pedal. So if you're into pedals, you might be able to get one for free. So if you are watching this on YouTube or listening to it on the podcast and you don't follow me on Instagram, you need to go over to Instagram. I'm at 40 watt podcast uh, and follow to get updates there because that 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 uh, contest is going to be entirely over on Instagram. So I'm not going to not going to do like email signups and like all sorts of other things. Y'all, I'm a simple person. I have I, I lead a very busy life and I need as simple as possible. So uh, having said that. Jeremy, thank you for coming on, especially a little late so notice. Much. And uh, Absolutely. We're going to talk a little more on the uh, Patreon episode. Until then, Perfect. y'all be good to yourselves, be kind to each other, and make some noise.
This episode is brought to you by the supporters of 40 Watt Podcast over on Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash 40 Watt Podcast, where for as little as $3 per month, you can help support the podcast and get every episode ad-free. For $5 a month, you'll get every episode ad-free as well as a bonus episode every week. I can't overstate how thankful I am for the support of my patrons and hope you'll consider joining the team and helping keep this show on the road. 